0: Thank <laughs> you. Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors, Take a Walk and Make a Podcast.
1: And this is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what we're thinking about, what we're astonished by, and what we're preaching, but not in that order.
0: Not in that order. And we are today, um, once again, doing an unauthorized recording at the seminary in Charlotte, so if you hear banging and loud shouts, it means we've been found out and kicked out. Um, and I'm just going to warn you. You and everyone listening that I have a lot to say today. So you should start because I might never stop. What is
1: astonishing? I was gonna say that's unusual.
0: I know, (laughs) I know. But I'm just saying, like if if what is normally happening, me just kind of having whatever, a normal amount to say,
1: what everyone's
0: used to, like today I have a lot to say.
1: Seatbelt on.
0: Okay, so what's astonishing you?
1: Um, I'm astonished by a ministry first that I had on Sunday, and after 20 years, I'm... Running out of firsts? Well, I'm happy to still be having ministry firsts. Our session, our elders and I have been having a conversation about how to create more intimacy in worship, Mm -hmm. Um, because as you know, we are a um, smaller gathering and a fairly large space, Mm -hmm. and so sometimes we can just feel very scattered and Mm -hmm. disconnected, and so uh, we've been having some really good conversations about how to create some connection and intimacy in worship, and uh, the elders at our last meeting asked me to consider preaching Sitting on a stool right in front of the congregation, not on the platform, (laughs) on the floor, like right next to the first pew. But were you wearing skinny jeans? I was not wearing skinny jeans. (laughs) I I didn't have the church planter uniform on. Mm -hmm. Um, No beard. No beard. (laughs) Yeah, right. Or flannel shirt. No tattoo. Um, So I'm there um, with Bible in hand, no manuscript, um, and... It went surprisingly well because yeah. I'm the kind of person like doing this podcast, like sitting and talking is really not my thing. <laughs> if I'm going to talk. I need to move. <laughs> like I think the, the the muscles in my mouth are connected to my feet. There's something about standing and preaching and walking. Uh, I, I just have a different flow. Yeah.
0: Uh, mm-hmm. And
1: so I was I was very anxious about just sitting on a stool right in front of people, and it's it's not a very tall stool. So I'm.
0: Yeah, basically, eye level. eyeball to yep. eyeball with folks,
1: yep. and it went really well. And I have two takeaways. Uh, number one was eye contact. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, one of the most I perceive to be one of the most introverted people in our congregation like waited for me mm-hmm. to talk afterwards. And I don't think this person has ever commented on my preaching, but she said, and I'm quoting her. I heard every word you said today. Like And the yeah, emphasis yeah, yeah. was on every. Yeah. Um, and so that worked for her. And I, and I think it was all about the eye contact because I remember yeah. just catching her, uh, just yeah. looking at me uh, several times during the preaching moment. Uh, my second takeaway is it's just about change in general, that yeah. you just got to mix things up. Yeah. And um, I do have a certain... Routine, a uh, certain habit. I'm, I'm an expository preacher. I like expository preaching. I like line by so line. So define burst,
0: expository for people.
1: Expository preaching is when you take a text and you walk people through the text mm-hmm. line by line, uh, point by point. Um, it can be topical, but the focus is on the text. Sure. And so, um, and I still preached in an expository sermon on mm-hmm. Sunday. But in retrospect, I can see it was less dense because sometimes when I've got a manuscript, well, not sometimes, most of the time when I have a manuscript, I just, I, I dig fairly deep and, and I think I can go to a place where sometimes people are not interested.
0: Well, and I think, I mean, you and I have had this conversation a lot about how I, I mean, I think of preaching primarily as, um, an art form, like it's, Mm -hmm. it's it is creating something analogous mm-hmm. to a painting or a song. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily that you're imparting new information mm-hmm. to people, although it will be for some people, mm-hmm. but it's that you are saying, you know, naming a deep truth in a beautiful and compelling way. And that's why we'll always need new sermons and we'll always need new yes. preachers because we'll always need new art. And so what I think is interesting in the challenge I think as we um you know cuz we both like to study and we both like mm-hmm. to dig really deep mm-hmm. in the text and i push myself and i push you that you this there's this instinct of like every good thing that could be said i want to say it and every yes. true thing that can yes. be said i want to say it and and i do think there's something really powerful about playing around with the idea of not only is preaching art, but sometimes preaching is improv. Not Mm. in the sense that you haven't prepared, but more like a jazz improv, Mm -hmm, right? Like mm -hmm, you know that mm -hmm. when you see jazz musicians playing a set, I mean, these are people who have put in just hours and hours and hours of practice and preparation so that they can be so in the moment that they can be in the flow and improv. And I think Mm -hmm. in that moment, when you're sitting in that chair making eye contact with people and you've done all the work and you have an outline or whatever, but you're just so open to the Holy Spirit. And you've given the Spirit so much in you to work from. And then you're just saying, like, I'm not going to feel like I've got to have a checklist. And, like, Mm -hmm. did I say 17 Mm -hmm. things about Mm -hmm. this verse? Okay, Mm -hmm. now I can move to the next Mm -hmm. one. But Mm -hmm. just to say there's always going to be more that we can mine in a piece of Scripture than we can put in one sermon. Absolutely. And just sort of, I mean, I think that's really, really
1: great. And the reality is... By the time Sunday morning comes, the text is in me. Yeah, the text yeah. is in me, right? Yeah. I've lived with the text for a week, right? And yeah, so Sunday was great. It was great. Oh, that's
0: how really about you? Cool.
1: What's what's astonishing you?
0: Um, well, so we have a program that we have been so incredibly blessed to um, be a part of. I think this is our eighth or ninth summer, and it's called Freedom School, and um, it's a six-week long sort of literacy culture camp hybrid and it, it's just amazing and um so we have 70 kids on our campus every day and um I, boy i'm a big believer in public school huge believer in public school but mm. i would kill to just have that all year round mm. right because it's mm. just so amazing and um but anyway a lot of the kids over the years, you know, we have kids who are whose families are part of the worshiping community who are part of this program, and we have kids who we just know so well their families are part of our church. Even if they worship somewhere else, they're kind of part of our... Parish, And then we do have new children. And so the program started on Monday, and it starts with breakfast. And so I'm just kind of walking around the tables, like, you know, connecting with kids I haven't seen for a while and introducing myself to kids that I don't recognize and just, I mean, whatever. I'm the queen of extroverts, so I love it. Super happy. And um, so I'm talking to all these kids. So so two stories. One, just for fun. So, like, this program um, is is... Primarily um, serves children of color, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm walking around and, and this program, we've been so fortunate just because of the part of the city where we live, often has lots of families um, who have immigrated or families who are refugees. So there's mm-hmm. literally kids from all over the world there. And I'm like, here I am, white lady, walking around, like trying to talk to these kids, and really, and it's loud, mm-hmm. and I'm really trying to hear names mm. um and it really it's really important to me um to learn to say people's names and to learn to say them correctly because sure. it's just a way of honor and respect and absolutely i mean uh, it's ridiculous to mm. me that mostly white people sometimes will act like oh i this name is it's it's un, it's it's unreasonable to expect me to learn to pronounce a name mm. correctly when it's not a typical white, it's stupid, like that wonderful key and peel sketch where the yes. black substitute yes. teacher comes the in and
1: teacher. is calling out yes. the role of like yes. Timothy.
0: Yeah. I mean, like we think that Timothy is a totally normal name, but then if some kid walks in and her name is like Shantiqua, we're like, yeah. what? I can't learn to say that name. I mean, it's just annoying and racist <laughs> and people need to stop. Yes. And so I'm trying to like, and it's loud though. And I'm trying to hear these names and I am um, definitely a visual learner. So, sometimes if I hear something, I can't, I can't hear it. But if somebody spells something for me, then I can see it in my mind and then I can yeah. figure out what it is. So I'm, and so I meet these two little boys and they're brothers and they're just beautiful. And they have an accent, um, that tells me they were not born in this country. And yeah. they, um, you know, I think that they are from Ghana. And so they just look like little princes. Yeah. Right. And so I'm, I'm asking the one child, like, well, what, you know, I'm pastor Kate, what's your name? He's like, my name is little juice box. And I was like, all right.
1: Very All right. Good. That
0: is from Amen. I think your name is Little Juice Box. And so I turned to his brother and I was like, well, what's your name? And he says, My name is Elijah. And I said, Well it's nice to meet you, Elijah. That's a great Bible name. And he said, But I have another name. And I'm like, oh, well tell me your other name. And he said, Oh get money. And I was like, and I can't hear him. And I'm like, what? And so I'm like, well, I didn't say what. I was like, oh, can you help me learn to say your name? Like, can you spell it for me? So he spells it out like O-G-O-N-A-G-E-T-M-O-N-E, right? And I'm like, oh, gone get money. That's beautiful. What does it mean? And He said, it means when I grow up, I'm going to work hard and get money. (laughs) Like, I heard that. Thinking, I was like, I'm thinking like this is like an like a ethnic like indigenous name, and I'm trying to learn to support it. But he's like, no, my brother's a little juice box, and I'm all gonna get money, and we are here <laughs> at <What? laughs> Freedom School
1: to. <laughs> anyway, he's like, it, was, it is a prophetic name. I mean, recognize. I love
0: it. I just so love it. But but the story. So I mean, a. I just I love this program. I love that we as a church just get to be a place where a bunch of people gather and we get to welcome them. And it's just so holy Mm. and there's, it, it just, it, it thrills me and it feels so right. Um, and there's this other family who are part of the program this year. Um, and they are a refugee family from Syria. Mm. And so they have been, I think in this country for, maybe seven or eight months and they were went from Syria to Turkey and now they're here. And, um, and I just met them yesterday. I don't know their story, um, but I do know the story of Syria. And Mm. so, you know, I think it's a reasonable assumption that there's just a lot of pain and trauma and heartbreak there. Um, and so I was introducing myself and to the middle brother um, and just asked him what his name was. And he said, my name is Muhammad. And I said, well, you know, we're in the middle of the gym and there's all these kids and everybody's loud and he's clearly kind of overwhelmed and not, he's got good English, but is just an mm. accent. It's not talking too much. And, and I was like, well, I know there's a lot of noise and it might seem kind of crazy now, but you are going to have a great summer here. And he looked at me and he said, will some of these children be my friends? Wow. And I mean, I'm, like, I don't know. I mean, just the thing is, like, there are so wow. very few people who are brave enough and self-aware enough mm. to walk into a space and just say, I need someone to be my friend. Yeah. Um, and it just struck me as such an amazing moment of, like, everybody's need, right, mm. to have mm. real friendships, Yeah. yeah. Um, regardless of what your life story looks like. Some yeah. of us think we don't need it, mm. but, I mean that's just, I mean, if nothing else, the biblical record is clear. It's not good for a human to be alone. We need friends and healthy and holy friendships. Um, but also just the way he said the question, will some of these children be my friends just as the pastor of the church and this, you know, program is filled with children, including my own who are part of this church community to think, yeah, that is the question. Like for all of our Jesus talk and worship and ministry, like if this little boy who has seen incredible horrors in this world if if he cannot when he finds himself in a church if he cannot find himself befriended Mm. by um, the children of disciples of jesus christ i mean but like that's the big question right and so i really um you know i I hear that and like my 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 heart's in my throat and you know you just think like you know dear God, I hope so. Mm. And it will really be a litmus test for the integrity and strength of all of our ministry and all of the, I think, sincere work we do pouring into children that nothing we do matters. Um, if, if we have not taught our kids Mm. to welcome the stranger in their midst and, and, and to not just to welcome, not just to serve, but to befriend. Mm -hmm. Um, anyway, so that was, I'm still sort of sitting with that moment. Um, And that's what's astonishing me. So what are you thinking about?
1: I am thinking about um, a podcast I heard recently. Um, It featured an interview with Molly Fletcher. She's not a well-known person. Molly Fletcher is a sports agent in Atlanta who has recently made the transition into being an author and a speaker and um, she has been writing for the sports world and the business world but I was listening to this podcast interview uh, with her the other day and um, in her book she quotes someone who's quoting someone else so it's, it's a quote from um, a journalist named Jacob Reese and it's used by the coach of the San Antonio Spurs to inspire his team. Mm-hmm. And neither one of us are uh, big sports fans. but sport. Yeah. But I found this interesting. Um, and she, she writes, uh, in quoting uh, this coach, that whenever I get to a place where things are hard and nothing seems to be happening, I go and... Uh, watch a stone cutter because a stone cutter hammers and hammers and hammers a rock and nothing seems to be happening and then on that 101st blow the rock just splits in half now of course she's writing for athletes you know she's talking about uh, baseball players who spend years and years In the minor leagues, on a bus, making less than twenty thousand dollars before they make it to the big leagues, or the golfer who's tournament after tournament before they win a million dollars, or they don't, or they don't, (laughs) or they don't. Yes, or they never make it. But I thought, man, that really does apply to the world of church transformation, where you can work and work and work, and you don't see anything happening, and it's that that one hundred and first thing. But it's not that thing that does. It's it's everything that's led up to that, and.
0: Well, and I, yeah, I mean, I think that's so good because I think that people keep looking for a new system, a new system. Well, let me try this. Let me try this. And as if it's that they, if there's some magic thing that will fix it. But the reality is Mm. it's the process that changes the spiritual reality of the community Mm -hmm. that makes growth possible. And we want to skip the process. Yes. And that's the huge challenge and
1: What I like about that story is that for me, it calls me, it reminds me to get my eyes off of the stone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's really about the vision. It's about the greater vision. So you keep doing the work, even though you don't see anything happening, it is about a bigger vision. And for us in the church, this should be easier than for most people because we have this Sure, hope in Jesus Christ. You know whether or not our churches, you know, thrive and are around fifty years from now, that's secondary. But this, the, this work of God in Jesus to um, um, renew, recreate the world. Well, that that's certain. And so we can we can work, we can labor with a with a confidence that yeah, this matters. This well, is not with in vain. a piece.
0: I think because yeah. I mean, two things. One, it wasn't the hundred and first strike. That made the difference. Mm-hmm. If you had somehow hit it in exactly that way on strike number two, right. it wouldn't have happened. Like all of those previous hits mm-hmm. created the the context for which that blow made a difference. And I think for me, it's not about getting our eyes off the stone. It's about recognizing that doing the work is... Matters mm-hmm. regardless of what we can see, mm-hmm. what our limited vision can see as yeah. the result of that, right? So there's just dignity and honor mm-hmm. and worthiness in being faithful, period. Absolutely. So, yeah. I mean, like, and I want, you know, you want to think about results, you want to measure, you want to always, you know, be asking difficult questions and being willing to confront truths that don't, you know, cr- perpetuate a positive feedback loop, right? So it's not that you would ignore results because you want to pay attention to them, mm-hmm. but, but it's not to say like, oh, I've got to get to a certain point. It's to make sure, am I being faithful? And yeah. then am I being, if the answer to am I being faithful is yes, then you have peace. And if the answer to am I being faithful is no, but you have the facade of some big beautiful impressive church that doesn't matter either like that's also blasphemous so but I do think I hear stories like that and I mean yes they're preachable and they're Mm -hmm. encouraging but isn't there like a tiny like whatever 10th grader in the back of the classroom inside of you thinking like You don't really go find a stone cutter every time you get discouraged. You don't really do that. (laughs) Every time I get discouraged, I go find a stone cutter. I'd be like Bob. Would be like, Hey, Kate, glad you're back. (laughs) (laughs)
1: And maybe the story went, I think about a stonecutter. I'm just saying,
0: like, I hear that metaphor a lot. Like, then I go watch them at the golf
1: range, or I go... I'm I'm probably less skeptical. um,
0: I feel like Eugene Peterson tells a lot of stories like that, too. And I appreciate them. Literarily, like, the meaning is great. I'm enriched by them. But But I'm like, like, "Mm." I don't think you really do that. (laughs) But anyway... Um, so ask me what I'm thinking about. What are you thinking I what about? She's <laughs> so, um, two things. So I I have a friend, um, a very dear friend to me, who is is very um, blessed by Richard Rohr, and the author. He is a he's a priest, and he. And I, I really appreciate his work. I find that um, he's he's written- Are you saying
1: he is your friend? No, or no. no? <laughs> what? no. Like,
0: I have a friend, a friend who is very, like he's one of her primary spiritual teaching teachers, right? Like through his books, through his writing, through his podcast. Got it, okay. Right, she's very- and she's always sending me really helpful things that he's written. And and she just recently bought a book for me on contemplation. And he um, was on a podcast recently that I listened to. And so I was listening to him and I just was having all kinds of reactions, which I would like to share in no particular order. So one thing about Richard Rohr that I really appreciate is I just know how much I need him. He among many things that he emphasizes, um, it talks about contemplation and mm-hmm. talks about, um, you know, really, which I, I really think, and I've not read his latest book, although I've read about it and heard him talk about it. But he's just talking about, you know, so often our understanding of prayer is asking for what we want or, or mm-hmm. saying we're sorry, mm-hmm. but it's sort of like a spiritual grocery list, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then for many of us, for very good reasons, like we, we, we grow suspicious or uncomfortable mm-hmm. with that as the soul purpose of prayer. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we just think, but we don't know what to replace it with. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, if I'm not going to just give God a list of everything that I want, or if I'm not going to feel like, okay, well, my friend has cancer. And so I have to say, please, please, please to God 50 times a day, or else God won't heal Mm -hmm. him. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. like when we start, you know, saying like, there's gotta be something more than that not that it's wrong to ask for what we want from sure, God. Sure. Jesus approved yeah. and it is good and right to pray for healing mm-hmm. for ourselves or those we love absolutely. But that can't be all there is, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. he's talking about contemplation being this way that, you know, when the word prayer gets degraded, like the the ancients came up with this other word to say that there's it is good for our souls just to contemplate, to meditate. on on God Mm. and on the revelations of God and on the reality of God and what we learn from the reality of God. We recover our own real selves and our real values. And he talks about like contemplation and meditation being the ability to rest in deep time, which is just so intrinsically meaningful to me. And and of all the people in the world who need to rest in deep time, it's me, right? Mm. Like I I know myself a little bit, right? So I totally get it. I'm resistant to it because I know that's how much I need it, right? But if you are someone who really feels compelled to dive into the world and to you know, really want to work and sweat and serve and mm-hmm. just understand that that kind of embodied engagement with people is... The way you want to walk out your faith, then you need contemplation more than mm-hmm. anybody mm-hmm. because okay. you cannot do that well if you're not resting in deep time, right? You Mm. won't go to the places where God is really calling you Mm. unless you're resting in deep time. Like you'll be looking for cheap success and easy wins instead of being willing to go to the places where you're not gonna look like a superstar and where you are probably gonna fail and where you are loving people who are not gonna love you back, right? Like Mm -hmm. those are the places we're called to go. And we can't do that unless we're continually grounding ourselves and who God really is and in our real identity as beloved. Like I am a beloved child of God, period. Mm -hmm. And nothing else the world promises me will satisfy me and nothing that I do or don't do can take that away. And it's that knowing that and finding my peace and my identity and my center in that, that frees me Mm -hmm. to follow the Holy Spirit wherever, you know, the spirit leads me, knowing that nothing's at stake for me Mm -hmm. nothing's at stake for me and i and i have to live there or else you can't do the work of transformation you can't love people as they are you can't resist the impulse to control them right so like i get it i need contemplation and i'm listening to richard Rohr, and i'm grateful that he's in the world and here's also what i really wrestle with one is richard Rohr is a very um uh I mean, appropriately proud member of the Catholic Church. And he is a Jesuit. And I really, at times, just get frustrated that, as a woman, I'm just supposed to get over every destructive and dehumanizing thing that the Catholic Church continues to teach about women. Mm -hmm. And I know that the Catholic Church is no more symbol or less beloved than any other broken and imperfect branch of the body of Christ. I know that. Mm. And so I absolutely am honored to learn. I mean, all of us as as leaky vessels hold God's truth and thank you. But there are just times where I just, I mean, I'm listening to this man talk about condom, about contemplation and resting in the deep truths of God and then thinking like, I just, it's just painful mm. to, to just sort of like, I wonder, I wonder what he thinks about all these teachings about, about women in this tradition that he loves so well, and that you never name it, or, you know, I don't know, that's just troubling for me. And I was just thinking I had lent, there's a, um, a guy in our church who I like a lot who asked me if I had would recommend a book for him. And, um, and I said, sure because that's a great thing. I love to tell people what I love to read. And then he actually followed me in my office and was like waiting and I had stuff to do. So I just plucked the first thing off of my shelf, which happened to be a book by Rachel Held Evans, who's a young Christian writer who actually recently just tragically died. And, you know, I didn't really, if I had had time to think about what book to give him, I would not have given him that book. I wouldn't really expect him hmm. to have resonated with it. Um, but I, you know, whatever. I, I didn't have 45 minutes right then to really it, think. Yeah. It. So I handed him and he brought it back to me this, this Sunday. And I, and I said, oh, you know, what did, what did you think? And I appreciate Rachel Held Evans. I think she just has, um, really valuable things to say to the church mm-hmm. as valuable as Richard War And I'm sure he would agree. Right. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting because he, he gave the book back to me and he was like, I was really boring and I didn't really learn anything new. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> so like okay, and I and I was sort of I was joking, and I was sort of like, well, she just tragically died, so I'm sorry that you know whatever. And he said back to me, and he was joking, and he said back to me, I'm sure maybe her husband killed her because she bored him to death. And I was like, oh my oh, gosh, wow. and and he saw my face, and he was like, I'm just kidding. I was like, I know you're just kidding, it's fine. But it just strikes me how women I know learn from women and from men. Mm. And men, I know, learn from men. Mm. And it's just the way it is. And mm. women have learned that you just that men have good and valuable things to say and you can't rob yourself of being blessed by their wisdom. By you know, so you just do the work to get yeah. the goodness of yeah. how God is using them, right? And men don't do that for um, women, right? Mm. And I'm not saying that he rejected her, this book because she was a woman, mm-hmm. but I also just I mean, I could be wrong, but I mean, I just think most men I know, if they read at all, do not read anything written by women. Mm. And that's just frustrating to me. And in the body of Christ, it is as well. And I just think it's so important if we're going to recognize that all of humanity is made in the image of God and that also, you know, Christ is incarnate. And so some things about our lived experiences give us the ability to receive revelations from God that you wouldn't have if you hadn't lived that life. But if I listen to someone who has a different lived reality than I do, then I can be blessed by the Mm -hmm. revelation that only they could Mm -hmm. have gotten from God through Mm -hmm. their lived reality because they'll share it to me and I can learn from that. And I just, i just think it's just so the body of Christ is so impoverished Mm -hmm. because men, men, Mm -hmm. because women have learned how to listen to men. The men have not learned how to listen to women and men have not learned how to receive women's wisdom and the embodied truths that they that the Lord has blessed with them and it makes me sad and I want more men to be willing to do whatever the emotional labor of saying like I don't get this or I feel excluded by that but still there's good and valuable truth here that can bless me if I'm willing to humble myself and receive. And it just, anyway, so I was just thinking a lot and especially just listening to all this Richard War that I want to learn from him.
1: Mm.
0: And I'm just frustrated. I mean, I guess if you come down to it, I'm frustrated at how faithful God has been to the Catholic church, which is obnoxious of me, right? <laughs> I mean, I get that, but it's just a, it's just a strange thing. And contemplation in general, like I, I really, really get it and then also he's talking about like leading these retreats with millennials you know weekend retreats in whatever Jackson Hole Wyoming and i'm just kind of yeah. like i don't know i mean there's just so much privilege there uh, like unspoken mm-hmm. i don't know which doesn't mean it's not real and holy work and god works in and through the lives of rich people and i'm glad for it but i just i don't know so that's that's all that i'm thinking about
1: wow that's all. That's all. Well, it's not all, <laughs> but
0: it's all I'm going to inflict upon you today.
1: Wow, wow. So for our <laughs> listeners, who who are some other women that you would recommend that, that you particularly like?
0: Well, that's funny because I was going to put you on the spot and be like, so you lot of women, what women are you reading right now? But that's not very nice. Well, and you I've, could probably pass that test. So.
1: Well, um, one of the things I've been... Uh, I want to keep up with it a bit more, but I'm not sure if you're aware of the, um, the controversy, um, in the Southern Baptist convention around mm-hmm. Beth Moore.
0: Oh, a little bit. Yes. yes Cause she so, went off.
1: Well, yeah. And so she, and, and it's all around preaching. You were talking about authorship, but this is about preaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but for them, the conversation has been around authority, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, I think Beth announced that she was preaching at some church on Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. And um, and
0: they said, no, you're not, you're speaking.
1: Yeah, it, it caused some controversy. And, um, you know, I have listened to Beth more, and um, she, because of the um, complementarian theology of the Southern Baptist Convention, she has to say that she's a teacher and mm-hmm. not a preacher, mm-hmm. but if you, <coughs> a teacher of women. A teacher of women, yes. And if you if you listen to Beth Moore, holy cow! Oh, um, sure. She she can she can preach. I mm-hmm. mean, um, so now there there are times when I I would disagree with her interpretation, like if, when mm-hmm. she does. David and Goliath. She'll talk about you fighting your giants, I'm like, no, you are not Goliath, right? Mm-hmm. Or you're, you're not David. You're not yeah. David. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, <laughs>
0: yeah. But Beth Moore is hardly the only person who makes that
1: hermeneutical. Move, oh, absolutely. Right? Yes, absolutely. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. So there, there seems to be a larger conversation um, happening around women and the church, um, um, and. Some are saying that the uh, the the new Southern Baptist Convention president is really wanting to open that door and it's just being closed.
0: Well, so- and and you know, for as much as everyone talks about Pope Francis and I, whatever, I mean, He's a fine pope, but the one place where he has like stamped his foot down and drawn a line is to say, like, oh, no, 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 these gender mm. roles within the Catholic Church are immutable. They will never be changed. Women yeah. are not... I mean, so it's just interesting that he's being heralded as this progressive mm. leader within the community. And I do think he's progressive in the sense that he is going yeah. back to yeah. the core biblical values of mm. Jesus except not in terms of I don't know it's just a it's a tough thing and I don't you know there's lots to think and do about in and the Holy Spirit is not limited by human conventions and prejudices and I know that mm-hmm. um, and I also know that you know when you're not welcome at the table you you build a different table right and the reality is whenever God's people are truly assembled in the kingdom, you know, women and men will be friends with one another and will honor one another and will not either shun or have a sexual relationship with one another, which is the answer in so many, in so many settings. So I, I don't, you know, I, I intentionally, and I almost never talk or preach about it because I preach in a congregation where I am the pastor. And so, I mean, it's obviously an embodied, settled issue for us because Mm -hmm. of the role I happen to play, but um, it still
1: is difficult. I'm not sure if I would agree with that. I don't it is an embodied issue. I'm not sure if it's a settled issue. Um, as an African American serving a historically white congregation, um, there, yes, there's a certain embodiment there, but I find it necessary to keep coming back, raising the issue of ethnicity, on reconciliation, and just we just got to keep looking at this.
0: Well, I understand, but your congregation is still primarily white, and so accepting you as a leader is different than mm-hmm. if the issue is women and authority, and I am in the role mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. that is traditionally maybe I think been misunderstood as a hierarchical authoritarian role, then mm-hmm. that particular issue of are women called by God to preach. It's obviously settled. I mean, but it's interesting to me because we have many congregation, many families in our congregation um, where the women and the children are very active and the husbands are not, okay. which on the one hand, I know is not atypical, right? There are many families in churches led by men where the mom brings the kids and is very active and the father-husband comes, you know, Easter, Christmas, and Mm -hmm. doesn't really participate. So I know that there's a larger issue of men engaging with faith. Um, But also, I mean, there's no way that I don't always think like, oh, I wonder if this church were led by a man, if you would participate in it actively, and if it's the fact that there's a woman in this role that is an extra stumbling block, which I will say, the men who do um, participate in the life of our congregation, I think... You know, I think it takes an extraordinarily strong man, uh, you know, strong in his own identity and in his own worthiness, to not feel threatened by I, know, a woman in that role. But I
1: don't know. I try not to make assumptions because it's
0: not helpful. But I don't.
1: I don't know. I don't know about that. I mean, for for years, I went to conferences um, led by women. Um, and they, they were mostly for women, so 90% of the people mm-hmm. in the gathering in the Coliseum would be uh, women. And I, I didn't particularly find it that challenging. Uh, I didn't find it challenging at all, simply because I thought the teaching was good, right? And I and think, so I mean, that's that more. The,
0: like, they'll label her, label her a women's teacher, but here's what's surprising. Women happen to be human. Oh, yeah. And so the things yeah. that women struggle with are the things yeah. that men struggle with, are the yeah. things that humans struggle with. And so uh, anyway, I I didn't mean to go all the way down this rabbit hole. I just, the whole thing with Richard Warren contemplation is one, just I struggle with contemplation, period, even though I know how deeply I need it. And then B, it was just interesting to me how hard I was contorting myself to learn from this man hmm. and it was just interesting. And then having the experience of the man in my congregation being like, this woman's boring yeah. and tossing the book back at me. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, that, okay. I mean, whatevs. Interesting. <laughs> right? So.
1: Interesting. Well, what are you preaching on Sunday?
0: Well, <laughs> so I'm preaching on Nehemiah four. I realized that I had to do so much setup last week to set up the book of Nehemiah that I was like, six and a half pages into my sermon, and I was like, "Yes, "Hmm, maybe I need (laughs) to preach on Nehemiah 1 this week. And then, anyway, so that's a little inside baseball to say that I'm really now this week preaching the sermon. I was planning to preach last week, and even though service went long last Sunday, people just don't even know how long it could
1: have been. Wow. (laughs) So...